0: Okay welcome to another episode of Exploring Art Podcast, a Florida International University student podcast for the creative curious. I'm your host Mia. I'm very pleased to have Nick. Welcome to Exploring Art Podcast. So we have our case study. In the 18th century, English gardens differed from those of the present day in many respects, most notably in their lack of flowers and in their profusion of temples, follies, and grottos. These gardens performed other functions beyond that of pleasing senses. In particular, they conveyed sophisticated messages to those who wandered through them. Thus, 18th century writers, as well as present-day commentators and historians, used the phrase reading and garden to describe the viewer's experience of these landscapes. One of the most famous of all such gardens was designed by William Kent at Stowe in Buckinghamshire. One section of that garden, known as the Elysian Fields, contained an architectural complex consisting of three temples. The first was Temple of Ancient Virtue, a round classical structure based on the Temple of Vesta at Tiv- Tivoli. Inside were statues of Homer, Socrates, Lysurgus, and Epaminondas, representing the greatest poet, philosopher, lawgiver in general, respectively, of the ancient world. Nearby was the Temple of Modern Virtue. This was in the less refined Gothic style and was, moreover, built as a ruin. Downhill from these two temples, across a small stream, lay the Temple of British Worthies. This semicircular structure had 16 niches, each containing a bus of a British notable. The statues looked uphill to their ancient predecessors. The significance of their te- architectural style and topographical Placement of this ensemble was further enhanced by Kent's choice and alteration of inscription. A quotation from Virgil appears without a crucial line praising the priesthood. Queen Anne is not amongst the British worthies. 18th century viewers would have noticed these omissions and grasped their anti-Catholic, anti-Stuart message. When we read Stowe's Allegiant Fields, do we unpack its message any differently than we would that of a literary text or painting? Is reading a garden like reading a book? What sorts of gardens can be read? Are there limits to the kinds of messages a garden or a landscape can convey? Let's begin our discussion.
1: So um, William Kent's Gardens at Stone, like you mentioned before, had a section called the Legion Fields. And these fields were very open and vast with with some architectural structures inside of it. Um the The elements and characteristics that these gardens had is that they had lots of fits um, of space. It was very formal, and by formal I mean the gardens had lots of straight geometric lines and lines that followed the contour of the land. the The garden had lots of straight paths ordered inside it as well. Um, what was Saint Kent's gardens apart though from from landscapes of the time was his use of cla- classic and gothic architecture styles he also used water features inside of his garden which was usual for the time but the difference is the design and the symbolism that they have within the garden itself one of these water features is the, the fountain at the temple of venus this temple was was built in more of a neoclassical style and William Kent's mix of architecture styles, specifically the neoclassical features and the Gothic features in the temple, set it apart from the other other gardens of his time.
0: Yeah, it's really there's impressive some... to see the like mix that the architecture had within the.
1: Yeah, yeah. There's some there's some good videos on this. Topic On YouTube, one of the videos is under the user of National Trust, specifically the video called Designing Paradise, William Kemp at Stowe. There's also another one, which is like a tour that talks about architecture style of the buildings and water features used in the garden, which is called Stowe Landscape Garden, published by Sid Hutchinson on YouTube.
0: Yeah, so... So far, we've talked about, like, the different features that we've, like, seen in, like, these old architectural styles. But I think that we should explore more into, like, the limitations of of landscaping and gardens. So the limitations of garden messages are influenced by cultural context and viewer interpretation. So people of certain cultures may understand the implications of certain design choices, while others may not. Like Zen gardens, for example, most people in Japan know the context behind that, especially if you're part of the Buddhist religion, whilst an outsider may need to do more research. And while narratives may be clear in certain designs, gardens rely more heavily on individual perception, making it challenging to ensure a universally understood message. Um. Unless the artist explicitly states what the landscape is symbolic or dedicated to,
1: yeah, the the mess- the messages could be could be different for different people from different places. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and uh, the a characteristic of the 18th century gardens that set themselves apart from the modern day ones was was the architectural structures within the gardens because they they also uh, gave different messages through the actual styles and architecture structures. The temples were done with a mix of old architecture styles, while nowadays the modern gardens have simple, clean-looking structures. The garden layout for the 18th century gardens was very linear, like I said before, and the modern-day ones are very freeform. The follies built in the 18th century were built on purpose to look like ruins or structures with classical architecture. Many of the modern day ones vary in their approach to making these follies with different styles and structures. Although some modern gardens can have a classical look to them, another, another component that sets these gardens apart is, uh, is the grottoes. The 18th century grottos were artificial caves or structures Decorated with shells and other natural materials, usually usually for modern-day grottos, the grottos are like secluded spaces within the garden, with, with the materials being more diverse. And the modern grottos could also include new technologies that are not available in the 18th century.
0: Yeah. So there's some differences that you can see between those old ones and the more modern ones. And... When it comes to reading a garden, like interpreting, uh, analyzing what the symbolism is in everything, um, we got to think if modern gardens continue to convey messages and narratives to viewers like they used to do around like the 18th century and such. So I think that reading a garden remains relevant in contemporary landscape architecture because Modern gardens can convey messages like sustainable practices, cultural references, and innovative designs. Like, for example, urban gardens can symbolize resilience and community, and it can showcase how gardens continue to serve as like powerful mediums for communication in the present day. However, there's some like uh opposing opinions, like Christopher Wellen, who's the author of the website Roman uh chroneric.com so he opines that since around 1700 gardens in europe have been largely devoid of allegory and metaphor and are more for pleasure and beauty now so we're steering away from having symbolism towards everything and just kind of having it for aesthetic purposes and even though he uh believes this he states an exception uh there's exceptions in some modern day landscapes like the creation of Sir Terence Conrad's uh peace garden which commemorated the 60th anniversary of the end of World War II where plants were selected for their symbolism of peace, war, or remembrance.
1: Yeah, yeah, the the different gardens between the eighteenth century and the modern gardens convey different meanings within themselves like if you if you look around the legion fields garden you'll see many different types of symbolism even even the architecture conveys some sort of symbolic meaning the temple of ancient virtue displays classic architecture which coincides with the classic and more traditional moral values which were widely held within the classic philosophy and literature this this explains why there are statues of philosophers and writers inside the temple of ancient virtue was was built to honor the virtues of the ancient world showing figures as representations of these virtues the temple the temple of modern virtue was built using some classic features but also incorporated more new gothic styles this this was to show and symbolize societal change and the shift in values within the society to show that the standards and the traditions are now changing. And for the Temple of British Worthies, the building conveyed political and religious beliefs, the most notable one being the exclusion of Queen Anne. The the exclusion of this queen was on purpose and it was a purposeful decision promoting anti-Catholicism. Queen Anne belonged to the Stuart monarchy, which is a monarchy that had very close Catholic affiliations. This led the Stuarts being associated with Catholicism. Since Kent had deliberately left out this queen from the collection of busts and statues of the notable British figures, this reflected the anti-Catholic and political religious ideas of the time. You you can actually access a source that includes some information on this if you go to www.jstor.org and search Architecture, Landscape, and the Intermediate Structure, 18th Century, and click the first result. Starting on per- page 39, they actually talk about the different types of architecture and the styles of temples.
0: Yeah, it's interesting to see how political and religious ideologies influence garden design, especially in the 18th century with uh, the anti-Catholic and anti stuart messages within the Temple of British Worthies. So, We should dive deeper into how um, these different ideas influence gardens and landscaping at the time. So in the 18th century gardens were often used as a means to express loyalty to the ruling monarchy or conversely opposition to the current political leadership. For example, the mission of Queen Anne from the Temple of uh, British Worthies reflected anti-Catholic and anti-steward sentiments aligning the garden with the prevailing political ideology of the time. Gardens were sometimes adorned with inscriptions, quotes, or literary references that conveyed political or religious ideologies. In the temple, there was an intentional omission of a line praising priesthood in a Virgil quote. This underscored a specific religious hostility, emphasizing the subtle ways in which ideology could be included in the garden and influence it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. When when someone reads a garden, they're basically talking, basically taking in everything that the garden has to offer, not just visually. When someone reads a painting, they are taking in visually everything, all the forms and elements that the painting has, which is similar to a garden. The person might look at the flowers and plants or the architecture with a close eye as one might do with a painting. Also, when someone reads a book a literary text they might picture the the writing in their heads but they are mainly looking at the text but when someone reads a garden they're talking they're taking in much more than just the visuals than they would as they would uh, a painting or a text not only is that person taking in the visual sights of what they see in the garden but also what they smell like they might smell cut grass or flowers the person inside a big garden could also take into consideration the vastness and the use of space within the garden to come up with conclusions of their own. That person present inside the garden could hear everything going on inside the garden at that very moment. They might hear the birds chirping or the sounds of bees flying. The, the sense of touch is also used within the garden. And you could feel the different textures around the place. Maybe it's the stone of the temples or the soft leaves of plants or the rain but in a museum you generally can't touch anything especially the paintings like you, you don't you don't get as much information or feeling and depth as you would in a garden from a painting uh i i feel like when when you're in the garden you might See the same plants generally, but you also might see new occurrences of little plants growing in new places, or, or different butterflies roaming around, or new baby fish. You don't get this type of interaction. Within a painting or a book.
0: Yeah, I agree. Uh, when you have a garden, it's much more personal. You could be in touch with nature and have like a whole experience. Um, so, on the topic of comparing. Uh, experiencing a garden and like comparing that to analyzing a book or a painting, Oh, uh, we got to recognize that these different like mediums of art require different like methods of analysis. So while literary analysis focuses on like narrative structures and symbolism, garden interpretation incorporates the spatial and sensory experiences that you were talking about and paintings more emphasize visual elements, like highlighting the distinct approaches required for each painting medium, or like you can focus on the context of what the painting was based off of and the experiences of the actual painter.
1: Yeah, paintings, I feel like they can have a lot going on, but I feel like gardens could have way more going on inside and inside of them, and also vary in size. I believe, I believe these gardens can definitely be considered a form of art and expression. Gardens have a collection of many different plants and structures to which many people could find interesting. If someone takes time to look at it, I think you could call it art. because Because of the fact that gardens use all your senses at once, a person could be out in the garden and enjoy their time there for as long as they want to. I think you could definitely call gardens artists, especially because the gardens had to be designed, built, and grown, which is a lengthy process of time and patience, to which a gardener still has to tend to the garden throughout this whole time. When there's a garden and there's someone who designed and built it, I think you should be able to call him an artist. The designs this artist uses for his gardens can definitely tell you a lot about his ideas of visually pleasing or aesthetic garden or artwork. Maybe if the garden is straight, formal and rigid, the artist is more by the book or traditional, as opposed to a garden that's very freeform, loose and modern. This also tends to be the case in some paintings. The realistic representational art can be considered traditional because that is what was accepted as good at art for a while. People trying to depict others or objects as realistic as possible. But now art is expression and can be almost anything. Art paintings can symbolize that someone, an artist, is open to new ideas or methods. Similar to a gardener choosing many different ways a layout could be applied to the garden or what types of plants to put and where to put them.
0: Yeah, Uh, I think that many people might not like directly think as of gardening being an art, but I definitely can see where it can be considered that because of all the different little choices that the gardener has to make, just like an artist of a painter, of a painting. And yeah, it can differently put you through the same experience as a piece of artwork, traditional artwork. So there are many different types of gardens that we can all analyze but there's some that have specific design choices that are more conducive to conveying meaning through like their garden elements so an example of this will be japanese zen gardens so according to hunker.com rocks or ishi usually represent mountains the figure of buddha or strength and power there's water mizu in the form of ponds streams and waterfalls for purification and cleansing there are also lanterns that are used as symbols of enlightenment and bridges that symbolize a person's journey from different planes of existence um these el- these elements all interconnect to have the person within them meditate which is the meaning of zen zen is to meditate and there's also Persian gardens, which are another example, which symbolize an Eden and the four Zoroastrian elements of sky, earth, water, and plants. So these two examples have elements that represent other things. They're meant to symbolize other things. All right, so I want to thank you so much for joining us today, Nick. I really appreciate it. This, inc- this concludes exploring our podcast. Subscribe to Exploring Our Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening. Please join us soon, and remember to stay curious.